Hi, this is the Seattle Mama Doc Podcast, and I'm Dr. Wendy Sue Swanson. We all work so hard to perfect how we pull off parenthood, and often we may not feel good enough. I'm here with my friends to help you face these challenges head on. Dr. Amy Schultz, hello. Hi, Wendy Sue. <laughs> She's here joining us today. She is a cardiologist and attending physician at Seattle Children's. She specializes in echocardiography, which is the study of the heart and how it looks and what shape it is by ultrasound. But she sees kids at the Seattle Children's Heart Center for all different sorts of heart problems. And she's also a mom. And one of the things that she told me before we started recording, when I was talking to her about ways I could introduce her, I said, you know, what are you proud of? And she said, well, and I think she's unusual in this regard. I think I'm a good mom and a good cardiologist, which was great. So thank you so much for coming. We're going to talk about chest pain, what it is, why it's caused, how, how it's different in kids and adults, things that are scary about chest pain, really rarely, and most of the stuff that's really not scary, and kind of how to use your general pediatrician or your family doctor or nurse practitioner, and then how to maybe even use a cardiologist in those rare times that you might need one when it comes to chest pain. And we hope that this is really calming <laughs> instead of invoking fear because the majority of chest pain in kids is not from a scary, yucky, terrifying reason. That's correct. Okay. So let's talk a little bit um, about... Um, what it, what is chest pain? So when you're evaluating kids for chest pain, what are the kind of things that people report to you or why are you seeing them typically after seeing someone like me, a general pediatrician? Well, typically they're coming in because their child's complaining of chest pain, i.e. pain somewhere in the chest area. And I think really what underlies that a lot of times is people are worried that it's from the heart when in fact there are a lot of other things in the chest. Yep. Um, there are the bones and muscles of the chest wall. There are the lungs. There's the esophagus, which is the pipe that takes food from your mouth down to your stomach. So there are a lot of other things in the chest. Um, but we, I mean, to your point, we immediately, our kid complains of chest pain, you know, while sitting in the back of the car and we're driving. And, we, and our brains, I think, immediately go to cardiac, like, you know, Someone's going to have a heart attack. My kid's going to have a heart attack. And part of that is just because in adults, chest pain is typically really serious until proven otherwise and can be life-ending. But in kids, it's all those other things typically far more likely, right, than the heart itself. Right. So in adults, there's been a lot of public education out there so that people try to help the public associate yeah. chest, chest pain, with, pain with heart attacks so that yeah. people get seek care. the appropriate medical attention. Um, but children are just different. Children don't have heart attacks in general. And yeah. so we don't want to just extrapolate that public education to children. But it understandably causes people a lot of anxiety. Yeah. And I think, you know, we so um, Dr. Schultz and I have kids just the same age as 8 and 10. And I was even saying to her, you know, one of my kids has on and off over the years complained about chest pain. And I know all this stuff we're going to review, although I've learned a lot preparing for this podcast with you. But at the same time, I feel like when it comes up, I, I, you know, it just tweaks a little something funny in me, even though I know it's probably gas or like his diaphragm or his rib being sore or, you know, all the other things that it can be. So um, the other thing that you point out is, is the connection, I think, that parents make with sudden cardiac death. So let's talk about that, too, in children. I mean, you know, that's also another really publicized, um, pu pu you know, public campaign that we've had around prevention, having AEDs accessible and people trained on them. 
And and let's talk about the difference between kind of just chest pain and then the likelihood or the events around sudden cardiac death in kids or teens. Um, so chest pain is really just a symptom that people complain about. Um, right. Maybe what you get at is sudden cardiac death is an event. Right. And it's pretty rare. You know, there have been a number of studies that try to quantify how commonly does that happen. And most of the estimates fall somewhere in the range of one to three per hundred thousand children per year. So that's pretty rare. That's sudden cardiac death we're talking about. Right, so think of it, 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 almost an entire population, one in a hundred thousand or one to three in a hundred thousand kids would have an episode of sudden cardiac death. Yeah. And there's also a lot of concern about athletes who are participating. Um, but and, and can I clarify something? Because when I've done content before on sudden cardiac death, one of the things that's different is that there are clusters that take account for those one in 100,000. It's not as random as that sounds. So that sounds, gosh, it could just be, you know, um, a, a, a hit of lightning that one in 100,000 kids this will happen to. But we know that family history and that there are certain underlying inherited conditions that put kids at risk for sudden cardiac death, such that if you start to filter and screen appropriately, you know much better what the risk is. And if a typical kid without a family history of heart disease early in life, without a family history of an unexplained death or a cardiac death, you know, during a family's lifestyle, that the, the number then is far less than one in 100,000. Yeah, that's true. I mean, that sudden cardiac death number includes lots of people who have either medical conditions themselves that might predispose them, that people have already identified, or um, family history. And that's why one thing that's really important when you see your provider for a concern about a symptom is that they take a good family history because there are some conditions that run in families. But if you don't have a family history of that, of a, yeah. that's going to make your um, your risk even lower. Yeah. Well, I think what we're also getting at here, too, is to try to even talk about sudden cardiac death is to put it in perspective that um, what you think is going on and what you're worrying about it may be different. And I love the graph that you showed me today where they studied 100 patients at an adolescent clinic with chest pain, and they said... To, to parents and those caring for these kids, like, what do you think caused your pain? Or, and maybe even to these teens. And, you know, about four of them, so 4%, you know, said, yeah, I think it's a heart attack. And then they said, well, what do you worry caused your pain? And 44% said a heart attack, right? So we're all really logical. I'm hopefully smart about my, you know, my older son who's kind of complained about chest pain here and there and comes and goes. It's really quick. It goes away. He never brings it up again. doesn't persist. He's never fallen over or anything weird from it. But, um, you know, the difference between what we think and what we worry about is what we hope this podcast can also help with is um, putting this in perspective, that the symptom of chest pain is so unlikely to come from the heart. Yeah. And also, you know, we want to just go over ways that you can work with your regular provider to work through that because I think as parents we all have we all have things that we worry about with our kids. And this is one. This yep. is a symptom that causes people to worry. Yeah. And, and so I think we're also saying we, we get it. We get why you worry about it because of the cultural construct of how we understand heart disease in adults and then how we even think about sudden cardiac death in kids and kind of it's created this stew of anxiety around what probably, because of your point when we opened, right, there's a lot of stuff in the chest. There's ribs, diaphragm, lungs, esophagus, trachea, heart. You know, there's like all that stuff that's kind of, you know, stuck between your diaphragm and your collarbone, right, which is where we're, where we're thinking about. Well, so, so – um, there are some cardiac causes, right, to underlying chest pain, and yet they're the minority, the far, far minority of them. And and some of them can be 
I mean, describe them. Some of the acute symptoms or the acute causes of chest pain in children could be what? Yeah, well, I think when you just use that word acute, that's a good thing to point out that there are some things that we think about when people are sick or coming in and feeling poorly right now. Mm -hmm. In the ER type type or an emergent visit. And there are some um, things called pericarditis or myocarditis that are actually typically a viral infection of the um, the sac around the heart or the heart muscle itself. Those are very rare. And your provider should think about those if when you take them in for this complaint, it's a current illness. You know, they have a fever, they feel generally unwell. Yeah, or something's really wrong. Like a kid's really sick. That's when we think yeah. about that. Yeah, or really it, yeah. ill-appearing to your provider. Yeah. Um, that's sort of in a different category than when we see kids who have episodes of chest pain, and often they've been going on for months. They may yeah. come and go, and otherwise, they're pretty healthy, active kids. Then your your provider needs to be thinking in kind of a different bucket, and um, even in the first category, the acute category, is still quite uncommon. But once you get to these sort of episodic. Um, bouts of chest pain, it gets really uncommon. Something like less than 1% of all children sent to a cardiologist for that kind of complaint actually have a heart issue. Okay, and so that's, that's such a, that's like, we're done here. I could like, we're dropping the mic, this is over. I mean, really, like, less than 1% of why kids are referred for chest pain to a cardiologist are actually caused by the heart. And we were talking before, you were saying, well, the great thing is as a cardiologist versus me as a general pediatrician, you they get to come in and see you and you get to say, okay, we've done an EKG. And then sometimes if kids are having chest pain when they're exerting themselves, so running, playing on a sports team, they'll do an echocardiography, like, a you know, an ultrasound of the heart. And then you get to say, this isn't the heart. <laughs> Me as a general pediatrician, I, I, we have to take it a step farther where it's, okay, well, now we know it's not pericarditis. And we know it's not myocarditis. And we don't think it's an underlying non-acute heart problem from an underlying, you know, inherited or congenital heart problem or something else going on. But we have to start thinking about those other things. So I think it's worth even talking a little bit around what are those other things so families really understand, not just it's probably not the heart. Well, what is it? So, you know, I they we kind of we can break them down and, and Dr. Schultz helped me with this into kind of musculoskeletal, respiratory, gastrointestinal, or what's called psychogenic, meaning kind of from your mind. So the first one is the majority musculoskeletal. So you were talking about that too. You know, the ribs and the muscles in the chest accounts for, you know, 50 to almost 70% of what, you know, kids will complain about chest pain. And and some of those things are just what's called costochondritis, which is really like the union of where your cartilage and your like even where like your rib would come into your sternum or the center of your chest and it just gets sore or inflamed because you fell at football or you got punched by your sister when you're, you know, getting into the bus or whatever it is. Or sometimes and that happens after a viral infection, people will get inflammation in that space. That. Yeah. Yeah. And that can be, and that's where, again, a good history, both of what your family is and what's been going on with the child can help. So, mm-hmm. and what Dr. Schultz is saying there too, right, is that you can, and these are, this is un- unusual, but you can have a cold and you can get such an inflammatory response from that cold that it just kind of gets, you know, one of these joints basically between your rib and your sternum or something kind of gets inflamed and then it's just sore. But one of the reassuring things that we know, um, if your child has chest pain and you can push on it mm-hmm. and it hurts more, that's not the heart. <laughs> right. Right? So if a family member, you know, if a child's complaining to you of chest pain and they can point exactly where it is and you push on it and they go, Ugh, right? We know in some ways that's a good sign for you. Yes. You should be reassured. Yes. 
And and you can try some acetaminophen or ibuprofen and see if the pain goes away. And time is on your side that, you know, if it's getting better each day, then you should feel more reassured. Mm -hmm. There's something else. So, you know, we see a lot of, so 50 to 70% of this chest pain in kids is musculoskeletal. And we see a lot of that, particularly um, in the teen population. There's something called precordial catch syndrome. So, or even what other people call benign chest pain of of adolescence or the teen years. Talk talk a little bit about that. Um, Well, I think, you know, one feature of that that we often point to um, is if you take a deep breath in and moving, the act of moving your chest wall and expanding it reproduces or exacerbates the pain. That's another thing that often points to it being not a cardiac cause. So that's another useful piece of history. And we often get that history in the the context you were talking about just there with yeah. the precordial catch syndrome. Yeah, and that's just kind of this bucket, right, where we get these kids who are so healthy, their hearts are great, their exam sounds good, so it's okay to go and see your pediatrician, right? Have your pediatrician listen to the heart, get the blood pressure, feel their kids' pulses, make sure everything's great. And then when they talk about it, that it's like they're sitting in class and it's sharp and it comes in and they take a deep breath and it's terrible and they hold their breath for a second. I mean, I remember when I was a teen, I used to describe it to my mom of like, there's a bubble in my heart. Like, I'd feel this sharp, really quick pain when I took a breath and I, you know, you kind of stint, stint your breathing a little bit and then it goes away and that going away in combination with it being really brief in combination with a normal exam is so reassuring. So in the next category after musculoskeletal is respiratory, which accounts for, I don't know, 5 to 10%. And um, that could be anything like asthma or pneumonia, right? Because those lungs are in the chest. And, and so tell us a little bit about that in the kind of trying to figure out with a child what's going on. Yeah. And it could be from the lungs. Well, you know, I think um, common things are common, and asthma is pretty common mm-hmm. <laughs> in the population. Um, and it turns out that if you have a child that comes in with chest pain, particularly exertional chest pain, like when they're running, they're much more likely to have something like exercise-induced asthma as a cause than a cardiac cause. Mm-hmm. Um, and people have tried to look at lung function tests in kids who come in complaining with chest pain, and something like 10 to 25 percent of them may have some suggestion that actually what they have is um, exercise-induced asthma. Um, And that's often something that your pediatrician can just try treating empirically to see if it helps. And so that's a good way to work with your yeah, and that's, on yeah, that. that. Yeah, that's a great, and that's common. That we, Again, common things are common, and we try that. And then if you'll see resolution of those symptoms, then you can be so reassured again yeah. as well. Um, you know, the next list is gastrointestinal, which is not that much, maybe 2 to 8%, but that can be things like, I feel like something like your grandmother would say, like, you've got indigestion, or, you know, what we call gastroesophageal reflux, um, or even just gastritis. Your kid could be confusing. I mean, the tummy is really high in the chest, Right? I mean, I think kids think their tummy's really low and by their belly button, but the gastric cavity is actually right up near the heart. And so some kids, um, if their esophagus hurts, you know, from um, acid that's there or their tummy, right? I mean, they'll hear that. So, I mean, again, that's kind of a diagnostic working with the partner. And then and then, what do you think about um, panic and anxiety regarding chest pain? I mean, what can you help us understand? Because that's another cause for kids. Some are probably in the 10 to 30% of these kids with chest pain. Part of it's coming from just a sense of being overwhelmed, and it's really a true somatic feeling they've got in their chest. Well, I think there are a lot of people who experience um, stressful emotions. They actually experience them as bodily sensations. Um, So that definitely contributes. And I guess what I would also say is that um, even in the absence of that, I think because of what we talked about with sort of how chest pain is messaged to the public, Mm -hmm. um, there are a lot of people who, once they have had 
a bit of chest pain, they get anxious about the fact that they're having chest pain, and mm -hmm. that can kind of perpetuate it. And that's, I think, when you need to feel like your provider has checked things out um, to an extent that you can relax about it. And that will often make the pain start to get better once people feel really that they don't believe. have to worry about it so much. Yeah, and I, I, in my experience as a general pediatrician, I think, you know, when I can say to a kid, your lungs are healthy, your heart is healthy, that chest is healthy, this is real what you're feeling, mm -hmm. but your your anxiety around it is just bringing so much attention to it. It's like looking at a, a sore thumb and being like, look at how red it is, look how much it hurts. It hurts more when it's red, right? Because <laughs> you can actually see it in that way. So that reassurance can be, I think, really helpful. Okay, so symptoms of chest pain, I'd love for us to run down, you know, the, we can divide them into two categories, and, and that is the symptoms that are reassuring versus the symptoms that you might want to see a pediatrician for. So let's let's start with what's reassuring. What kind of chest pain, when you know kind of from the door that you suspect this is really benign? Um, well, typically when you mostly hear that people are reporting that it happens when they're sitting around doing nothing, you know, the time when your heart is under the most work is when you're exerting yourself. So if you hear that I'm sitting on the couch and I have something that's short mm -hmm. and it's sharp. That's the typical adjective that people use to describe these very brief pains. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I'm not exerting myself when it happens and it goes away. Those are all things that are reassuring. Um, and the other one that you talk about, too, is just, again, doing something in your body that isn't not exertional, but it causes it. So that, again, that inspiration Right. right. Something else that localizes it kind of away from the heart. Either a deep breath, that's moving the chest wall and your lungs. That doesn't really have much to do with your heart. Right. So if that's what triggers it or exacerbates it, that points away from the heart. Yeah. So again, reassuring. So if it's sharp and brief and it goes away, and it go, that's reassuring. If it's worse when your kid takes a big deep breath or when you push on it or they push on it, again, right. that, again, localizes it away from the heart. And then the other one that I think that people forget a lot it, it, that you helped remind me of is really that if this has been going on for a long time, right? Like, it's like it's like when the people come and they'll say, like, well, this has been going on for three years. And I'm like, well, what happened today that made, you made the appointment, right? But you should be reassured, right? If your kid's been having brief chest pain that goes away while they're sitting on the couch for three years, it's really unlikely to be something really yeah. serious, right, yeah. if that's the isolated report of that. I think the other thing that parents can do also is think what might be different about their kids' activities lately. Mm -hmm. um, you know, are they undertaking some new physical activity that's um, putting more uh, stress on their muscles or their bones? Uh -huh. And a lot of parents will have already thought about that before they come in. But every uh -huh. once in a while... You know, you kind of go through that history with somebody and something occurs to them that they just didn't think about before. Yeah, so yeah. that's a good thought process to go through. Yeah, just a change in activity from a sports team or something at recess or, yeah, a kid yeah. using their body in a different way that would make them sore. So what are the red flags? I mean, what is it that a family should think about saying, oh, I got to call the pediatrician so that I really get the reassurance I need? What would make you more concerned in a story that would say you as a cardiologist would be like, no, I want I want to see them in the office? Yeah, I think what gets our attention is if we hear that the chest pain happens with when people are really at the peak of their exertion mm -hmm. and that it may be associated with nearly fainting or fainting. That mm -hmm. definitely gets our attention. Yep. Also, if we feel like in general this is a child who, you know, had always been active and doesn't have the same exercise capacity that mm. they had previously, that would mm. kind of get my attention as well. Mm. Um there are certain locations that if 
um, I would say most of the kids I see you come in with chest pain, they all point to the left side of their chart. Their, they know where the heart their is. Their chest, yeah. excuse me. Yeah, they know where the um, heart is. So that location in, it, in and of itself doesn't yeah. bother me. Um, but occasionally, if people say it also goes down their arm or up into their jaw, those are more typical um, patterns that go with heart pain. However, the number of times I actually hear a child saying that is really rare. rare. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then finally, getting back to those um, those more acute illnesses. If it's an acute illness and it's they're having more trouble when they lay down, that's something that we pay attention oh, to. Laying down, pain on pain in their chest. The worst thing when they're laying down. Yeah. But that's more if it's in the the acute phase. Acute. Meaning again, some a kid it looks sick, right? They've got a fever. They're out of school. They're run down from an illness. Right. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Um, so let's talk lastly here about kind of testing. So there are a couple of different kinds of tests. Let's talk about the differences. So explain the difference between the EKG and an echocardiogram. Um, so an EKG is a test that we do where you put um, stickers on the chest and you attach electrodes. And we're basically recording the electrical signals from the heart. Okay. And, and what, what do you learn from that? Like how do you, how does that reassure you or cause you concern? Um, well, I view an EKG really as a screening test. It's kind of a first pass test that is not always as precise, but if it's normal, it's very reassuring. And that's something just to, to note, your pediatrician, family doctor, nurse practitioner usually can do in their office. Right. So you don't need a cardiologist for that. And it's it's not unreasonable, particularly if there's dis- discomfort with exertion or something that's really made a teen or a child or a, a parent un- uneasy to do that with your pediatrician. Yeah. Yeah. And it's also, in the scheme of testing that people do, it's a cheaper category of yeah. test. And I think people are more and more becoming yep. attuned to costs. Yeah, a couple hundred bucks, right? And, right? and then in addition, there's no risk to it. <laughs> you don't get any radiation from it. There's nothing that causes... The, the, the risk could be maybe, I guess, a false positive or something that puts you down a rabbit hole that, you know, you do more testing than you need. But outside of that, to the integrity of your child's health, um, besides maybe their mental health, there isn't real risk associated with it. Yeah. And it can often give us some um, indications if the heart muscle is too thick or if there's something abnormal about the way the electrical, what we call rhythm, flows through the heart and that sort of thing. So that's a pretty standard test. You get to the point of seeing a cardiologist to get in this context. You're going to get. You're going to buy yourself an EKG if you see a cardiologist. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for good reason, right? As a screening test. Okay, and then tell us about an echocardiogram and what you learned from that. That's different. So an echocardiogram is an ultrasound of the heart. So I think most people are most familiar with ultrasound from um, ultrasounds Baby. that they have while yeah. they're pregnant. It's yeah. the same technology. So it's sound waves that you bounce off the heart, and when they come back to the machine, um, it enables you to generate pictures of the heart in real time. Mm-hmm. You can see it beat. You can see the blood flow go through it. And there's a lot of different things we can assess about the heart with that. So it's it's more precise because we're actually looking right at the heart. We can tell how well it squeezes. We can tell if the heart muscle is too thick. We can tell if there are things that didn't form correctly about the heart. Um, that's more expensive test. So now we're in the sort of thousands of dollars mm-hmm. typical range. Although, of course, what people pay is so variable after it goes through your insurance. But it, it's, yeah. it's a more expensive test than an EKG. And it also requires a lot of skill to perform. Mm-hmm. So... Um, it's not something your pediatrician is going to offer in their office. And if you have a child who has one, you want to do it um, in a context where the sonographers have a lot of skill and experience with children. 
um, and the sorts of things that we look for in children. Yeah, and, and your point on that is really just to be clear, it's better to be with a pediatric cardiology team and a pediatric radiologic sonographer tech backing them up, right, getting and capturing those mm -hmm. images so that they're yeah. looking at it. It's kind of amazing that you can watch. I mean, as you described that, I loved how you described the echo. It's amazing to think that in real time you are looking at the shape, the thickness of the heart, the size of the heart chambers, the blood moving in and out, and they can do all of that with a probe on the chest while the child lies there and not cause them any harm either. It's, that's an amazing thing. I think the point to make about it, though, is a lot of times in this complaint, it's really unnecessary. Yep. Um, you know, you and I were looking over some of the, the data from some different studies, and um, even among children who go to a cardiologist, so they've already seen their pediatrician, their pediatrician was concerned enough to send them on to the cardiologist, and the cardiologist saw them and decided to order an echocardiogram. Still, in less than 1% of the cases, did they find anything yeah. that linked the chest pain to the heart? Yeah. And, so, and, and, so, and it's hard to get an echo. I mean, like, you have to have something that concerns a cardiologist enough, something abnormal on the EKG, or something that a child says. And one of that is, again, the, one of the red flags you mentioned, which was, it sounds like most algorithms that help support even cardiologists in decisions is, if a child has chest pain at the height of exertion or during exertion, it kind of buys the need to just make sure that the heart is of normal size and shape. Yeah, I think that may change over time because some of the yeah. studies that have been done recently show that even in that group, the kids who come who are having chest pain while they exert themselves, yeah, are the still, yield is really, really Yeah, less than 1%, low. right? Like, yeah, it's so low. Um, but so it's, it's a good decision to make having um, had a careful history, a careful exam, looking at an EKG, to decide whether that's necessary or not. And what about an exercise stress test? How often do you do those in kids? Um, we do them. You want to describe what that is, too, since I just okay, sure. plopped it out there? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, I think so, people hear about them in adults. That's why I thought maybe we should mention it. Right. Um, so there's a couple of different ways to do it, but the sort of most basic way, you put a child on a treadmill, mm -hmm. and you hook them up to an EKG um, while they're on the treadmill, and then the treadmill starts going, and it gradually increases in both um, speed and steepness. And it's designed that most people don't last longer than about 15 minutes because it gets harder every three minutes. Yeah. Um, you know, you really probably have to be at least eight or nine years old to be able to cooperate with that kind of test. Yeah. Yeah. And then during the exercise test, people run an EKG. And we're looking for certain changes on the EKG that might signal an issue with the heart. Um, I think people are using those less and less in this context because, again, Yield so low. what we're finding is that we don't find that much. Mm -hmm. um, and um, so they're, I would say they're getting used less and less, or people use them for particular reasons. But it's not a standard part of an evaluation yeah. for chest pain in a child. Well, thank you. I mean, I, I think chest pain is an uncommonly heart-related thing in kids. We know that. It's really rare that if a child's complaining of chest pain, it's from the heart. And yet we learned a little bit about some of the red flags and then some of the reassuring things. And just to close it out, I'll just say, you know, chest pain might be common in the childhood experience, but the majority of it causes, it cause, you know, comes from the ribs and the muscles in the same area of the chest, not actually the heart, particularly in kids. And we're all worried as adults because we live in this world where people have helped us make sure we get adults who might have a heart attack 
attack, um, you know, get to an AED or, or we've heard the stories about sudden cardiac death. And yet chest pain and sudden cardiac death are, are typically not even all that all that linked, right? And sudden cardiac death is really rare as well. Red flags that you should remember. If your child was a great athlete and all of a sudden can't really do practice anymore like typical and complains of discomfort in the chest, you need to be seen. If, you know, they exert themselves and when they're really working hard, they complain about chest pain, you should be seen. And or maybe if that chest pain radiates to a different place like the jaw, the arm, which probably won't, you should be seen. But if your child complains about sharp, brief chest pain or complains about pain with inspiration and they think it might be their chest or they push on their chest wall and it really hurts or they've been having this for a long time, you can likely be reassured, but your pediatrician, family doctor, nurse practitioner is a good person to start. They may do that EKG. They may put stickers on their heart to look at the rhythm of the heart or they may, if they find unusual sounds in the heart, have you see a cardiologist after getting an EKG if there's anything on there as well. And even more rarely, you might get an ultrasound of your child's heart to look at the shape and the blood flow. And you might get to be lucky enough to see someone like Dr. Schultz. <laughs> um, but the bottom line here is that we, as a pediatrician and a pediatric cardiologist, are really reassured that most of the chest pain in kids is not from the heart and is typically not related to something really serious. It tends to be the bones and the muscles in the kid um, and typically goes away without much intervention. But um, we hope this helped. Any last words? I think that pretty much covers it. Okay. Thank you. The bottom line is parenting is a high stakes job. But thanks to Dr. Schultz and all this data, the good news is you've got this. Thanks for listening. The Seattle Mama Doc podcast episodes air every single week. I'm always interested in hearing what you have to say, what was helpful, and what you want to learn more about. Reach out to me on Twitter at Seattle Mama Doc, on my Facebook, Seattle Mama Doc, or at SeattleMamaDoc.com. Tell me what you want to learn. Tell me if you want to join me and point me to experts you'd love to learn more from.